go. And there's the mic. Elsa. Hi, everyone can hear me? All right, good. Um, for those who may not know me, I'm Allison Morris, um, AKA Alimo, and I work um, with the student ministry, which is, as I always say, is a blast and has been a blessing into my life. Um, today we'll be reading from 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 18. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Now that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face, but because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it, it is taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we will all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, great job. Now, that is a meaty passage. And when I got about halfway through studying to preach on it, I was like, what have I done? Well, good morning, everybody. Go ahead and open your Bibles to uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. We're going to park right there. Uh, all the scriptures I cite today will be on the website at cedarrun.net slash service, so check those out. But we're going to jump right in this morning because our passage this morning is Paul teaching the church at Corinth a lesson on how Christianity works. And it's a graduate level lesson on law and grace and how the fullness of both of those concepts can only be found in Jesus so this morning, we're going to look at three ways that grace and law come into their completeness through Jesus. First of all, something changed. Secondly, we're going to look at two opposites. And lastly, we're going to look at the fullness of glory and what that looks like. So something changed, two opposites, and the fullness of glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, I just throw myself at your feet. Uh, over this passage, Lord. I pray you, Holy Spirit, uh, will be with me, that you be with us in the congregation, Lord, as we hear your word, Lord, as you apply it to our heart. Let us understand how law and grace uh, work together, Lord, in the fullness of Jesus. May our, our eyes be open, may our ears be open, and especially may our hearts be opened. We pray it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So first of all, something has changed. Let's read again uh, verses 4 through 6 from our passage. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. A lot of words in there uh, that sound like sufficiency, right? What Paul is describing here is a key condition that is uniquely Christian, okay? Insufficiency in self. Insufficiency in ourself. Uh, and if you think about that today, it's the exact opposite of everything we've been taught, okay? We're always taught to be strong, and you got this, and go, girl, uh, and you can handle this, right? But what we're seeing here is insufficiency, Nothing coming from us can make us sufficient. All of our sufficiency, according to Paul's text here, is from God. Amen? Okay. Now, this would have been something totally new, though. We kind of get this uh, in 2022, but this would have been really new to the part of the congregation at Corinth that came from Judaism, the Jewish Christians. And I'd imagine that they had to reinforce this concept all the time. So Paul's really getting down into the weeds here. Because as Jews, there was a focus on the law. Their eyes were always on the law. Now, they weren't sufficient in what they did, but over time, they began to think that they were. It should not be giving them confidence. But they came from what Paul calls here the system of the letter. And they were used to finding their worth there. Their focus was on the law. And that is not necessarily a bad thing, but it was all they had. It was not sufficient. And you can see, by the way, they always had to be giving sacrifices. They weren't good at it, even though a lot of times they thought they were. But it was all they had, okay? So we don't be too hard on them. But something changes then. Something changes. And what is that? Jesus comes, right? And when Jesus comes, how people interact with the law changes. It goes from letter to spirit, Okay? Now, the letter in the spirit. What is Paul talking about here? Well, as you probably guessed, the letter is the law, and the spirit that gives life is grace. And I'll show you how that works out later on. But law and grace. And it's weird, though, because Paul says here something that's kind of shocking. He says the letter kills. The letter kills? The law kills? And Paul keeps going. He said it's a ministry of death. What? I can't believe that. I'm reading this passage. I'm like, how am I going to cover this? (laughs) The ministry of death. Paul says in verse 7, we know it was the law that was carved in stone, he says. He's talking about the Ten Commandments here, given to Moses by God and written on those two tablets. But they're death. And that's kind of shocking to hear, isn't it? So law. Let's talk about law first a little bit. Uh, In one sense, it is those ten things that were on the stone tablets, but law is also the totality of the written record of the holiness and justice and moral purity of God. Let me say that again. Uh, Law is the totality of the written record of the holiness and justice and moral purity of God, and it goes from the very first page of Scripture to the last page, and it's summed up by Jesus in two things. He reinforces it, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. 
all 418 plus things can be summed up. If you're, if you're doing these two things, you had to have done the other 418 automatically. So law. But we're going to speak of law in terms of death. Another function of law in the Old Testament was to show just how impossible it was to follow it. Now, we can't even pretend to be as holy as God. The law is designed to show God's holiness, and we can't even get close to that. So there's going to be no way we're going to pull off following the law fully. And God actually gave it to us with our failure in mind. So that people would stop looking inward at their own ability. That's a problem that goes on today, right? We always think we're so sufficient. But God gave us the law so we'd stop looking inward at our own ability and goodness and start looking at him. That is law. Let's look at grace for a moment. What is this ministry of the Spirit that Paul compares the law to? He also calls it the ministry of righteousness. And let me ask you a question. Are we actually righteous people as Christians? Are you a righteous person? Well, the answer is no. Our righteousness, our sufficiency is based on what Christ did for us on the cross. And it's a grace that he gives us for accepting him as Savior. All is forgiven. That is the grace of the cross. Now, our righteousness, though, is like a legal finding. It's like we have a little scroll from God wrapped up that we can put in our back pocket. It's like a pardon. It's as if we have never sinned. So we've been pardoned from all of our sin as if we never did it. And hopefully, as we are becoming actually righteous, this though, there's a journey here from as if righteous under the finding from Christ to being actually righteous. And guess who makes that happen? The Spirit. That's why he gets credit for grace. And Paul calls it the ministry of the Spirit. It's a ministry taking us from as if to actually. Now, Paul also says that the ministry of righteousness far exceeds the ministry of death. So grace far exceeds law in terms of glory. Listen to this from our passage starting in verse 9, going to verse 11. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, he also calls it a ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. So Paul says about the law, there was glory originally in that earlier system, in the letter, in the law. But that grace is so much better. But there is such a flip side, though, when we do start thinking about grace and applying it to our lives. Because it leaves a lot of Christians in an awkward relationship with the law. It gets a little awkward. Some will just say, all is forgiven. And then they'll be a little bit loosey-goosey when it comes to God's moral imperatives. Others will fixate on the law and almost ignore grace. And they become grumbly and cranky when they fail, and they become prideful and full of themselves when they have the two or three things they get right. 
It's really all about behavior management. And I'll tell you, it's exhausting. I'm a great behavior management guy. And I've been there, you know. It's like mowing the lawn when your lawn is half weeds. You can mow it, and it looks beautiful for about 24 hours. But then the weeds spring up twice as fast as the grass, and you know you've got issues, okay? There's a lot of weeds in my heart. But both of those people, the loosey-gooseys and the zealots, are looking at the law the wrong way. Their relationship with the law is wrong. How they relate to the letter is wrong. They just don't understand it. It's a, it's a totally new concept. It's kind of like my first girlfriend in the sixth grade. I didn't even know that we had broken up. I had to find out from my friends. But there's a new way that Paul is talking about here of relating to the law. Okay, Pastor Blake, so the law is out. No. Okay, okay, Pastor, well, the law is in. No. All right. The law and the morality of God are never in or out. They always just are. Okay? But this new ministry of righteousness changes how we approach it. So we talked about the change in our relationship with the law and the letter that came with Jesus. Now we're going to talk about two opposites. Two things that go together that really shouldn't go together, okay? They're kind of, it's a weird combination. We've got an interesting situation here, though, when it comes to the letter and the spirit, to law and grace, okay, to truth and love, because they are both who, they are both what God is. They are both an integral part of who God is. They are imbued in his character, law and grace, so we know that God is law. He is holy. He is morally perfect. It is reflected in God's law, and it's and Jesus' imperative to live it out. Jesus confirms it. Now we know that God is also full of grace, because over and over he tells his people that he will never leave or forsake them, no matter what they do. And if you leave one or the other attribute out, either as a person or a church, things begin to get a little distorted. Let's take a look at church for a second. What about the church of only grace? All right, here's what the church of only grace is. God accepts everybody. No matter what you believe or what you've done or failed to do, there's no judgment. Everyone gets into heaven. In fact, only the people who, the only people who actually get rejected are the party poopers who want to make you live your life a certain way, okay? But let me ask you this. Without God, God's truth and morality, how do we even know how to extend grace? How do we know how to love each other? What truths, what moral standards should we be affirming? You wouldn't need grace if there's no moral standards, so that's the church of only grace. What about the church of only law? Here's the church of only law says. It says, here's what you have to believe. Here's the doctrine, okay? Here's how you have to live your life. And unless you believe this and do that, as Father Dan used to tell me, Blake, you're going to burn. He really said that. But without grace to go along with our law, what happens when we fail? It also has the effect of potentially turning us into a bunch of 
Pharisees and legalists. We start looking down our noses at people or we get super down on ourselves when we fail. The outside of the cup looks clean, but the heart isn't in it. Now, these are almost two entirely different ways of doing church, okay? And both of those churches would call themselves Christian churches. And every single church leans one way or the other. And in fact, every person leans one way or the other. Here's how you can identify yourself, okay? You can actually self-identify, right? If you sit in your seats uh, there and listen, if you're a person who leans toward law, every time I talk about grace, it bugs you just a little bit. Just a little bit. And every time I bring up obedience, though, because I want to give equal time, uh, the grace people get just a little bit bent out of shape. We are all somewhere on the spectrum because we can't process how to put those two things together as sinful humans. We can't handle the duality of it. We can't handle the paradox, but you have to have both. Not all law and no grace, and also not all grace and no law. When Moses got the law on Mount Sinai. I want to I share a fascinating passage with you. Here's what God said to Moses about himself, okay? It's in Exodus 34, 6-7. It is in the online bulletin, so you don't got to chase it. Just listen. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, giving iniquity and transgression and sin, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But by no means clear the guilty, but, what, but what will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. <gasps> on one hand, God says, in the same sentence, the same breath, on one hand, God says he is merciful and gracious. He's never taking his love away. He's got steadfast love for us, right? But on the other hand, he says, I'm never going to clear the guilty. It's not going to happen. This is a paradox. And the gospel is full of paradoxes. Two things that seemingly cannot exist in the same place. Complete and utter holiness alongside absolute grace and forgiveness. Another pastor translated that passage this way. Here's what God is saying. I'm a forgiving God that never forgives. How can that be possible? How do they mesh? How is God totally forgiving but never letting the guilty off the hook? He never does it. God is saying he's totally both, though. So it's as paradoxical as it seems, there must be a way. And if you are in a relationship with God, there is no escaping this either. You cannot pick one and ignore the other. Law and grace must be reconciled or none of it works. And when you see it does work, you're going to see a whole new way of approaching God's law and being a moral person. And that's going to be in the fullness of God's glory. There's a fullness. That's our last point of the morning. I'm flying today. So how do law and grace come together? How do they come together? Let's go back to Moses again. This is before God passes in front of him, just before, and before that paradoxical line about the Lord forgiving but never forgiving, okay? It's the whole reason that God had showed himself to Moses in the first place, because Moses had asked God for something in particular. It's in Exodus 33, verse 13. Moses asked God, show me now your ways. Show me your ways. 
What does that sound like? Right? What does it sound like? Show me what to do. Show me how to live my life. Show me how to tell your people how to live. That's law. And God's answer, you know what God answers him? The answer is that God lets Moses see him. The only way that Moses will really get God is if he sees him with his own eyes. And Moses, oh, God would not let Moses see all of him, okay? Not yet. And he places Moses in that cleft of a rock as he passes by. He says, you cannot see my face. You cannot see all my glory. Not yet. Now, Moses wants to see all of God's glory, but God will only let him see part of it. All of God's goodness will be revealed one day, but not just yet. And I believe what God was holding back from Moses was the mystery now revealed. You guys have heard that line before, right? The mystery now revealed. Paul talks about it over and over in Colossians 1.26 and Ephesians 1.9 and Ephesians 3.5. The mystery now revealed is how God brings law and grace together. In their fullest sense, both of them, side by side, Jesus Christ. Listen to John 1, verses 16 to 17. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What else? What, truth is also law. It all comes together in Christ. In his complete fullness, the only place in the universe that it does. And in doing so, Jesus changes our relationship with how we look at the law. And that's the point that Paul is trying to make with all of this. If you want to know how to approach God's moral imperatives, if you want to know how to approach holiness, how to approach the law now, how we're going to experience uh, the fullness of it, uh, not in a way that we're blowing it off and not in a way that we're zealots, okay? We need to ask God the same question that Moses did. Show me your ways. Show me your ways, God. And today, God shows himself fully to us in Jesus. In far more glory than the partial revelation that Moses saw, Jesus is the full deal. He is all of God's law because he lived the law perfectly, and he is all of God's perfect grace because Jesus died for us for not living that law. He is full of grace and law. That is the core level of grace and law. If Moses looked into God's face in the Old Testament, he dies. We look into the face of Jesus and we live. That's the difference. God said to to Moses, do not look at me full on. It will kill you. But Jesus says, look at me and live. In fact, only through looking at me can you live the life that I have for you. That's how you live in God's ways, Christian. That is the key to our relationship with the law. It's a key. And we can only do it because the veil has been lifted for those who are in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, right out of our passage. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. During the time of the veil, God would not let Moses or the people see it. Now with Jesus, though, the veil is off. Gazing upon Jesus in love is how we relate to the law now. 
John Piper has a great illustration of this. The old way of the law, he says, is like a very secure house with a combination lock on the front door. Now, all you gubbies know what that looks like every day when you go to work, don't you? But Piper says the old way into God's presence to get the treasure of the love of God to get into that house is to work the lock. Work the lock, kind of like Magnum P.I. trying to get into that Ferrari with his keys. And Zeus and Apollo running from the house to bite him. He's like, work the lock, work the lock. Don't look at the dogs. The way to get into the house with the law is working the lock, okay? One turn left. Oh, I just lied. Two turns right. Don't steal. Another turn to the left. Don't covet. Oh, I messed that one up. I forgot the number. I got to start all over again. And you can never crack the code. You never get it right. You better give up on the lock. You got to die to the law as a way to get into the house. And when you do die to it, you know what happens? Christ picks you up and carries you across the threshold of the back door as a bride. Only Jesus can get you into the house. Only Jesus can get you into the presence of God. You'll get zapped if you try to walk in that back door on your own two feet or without the right combination to the front door. You can only get in with Jesus carrying you. Now, if your eyes are on him, that's how you follow the law. It's like the loving gaze of a smitten one. You're in love. Through Christ, you are in the law, and the law is in you. So attachment to Christ, an infatuation with Christ, a fixation on Christ, always with him, clear eyes, full hearts, for Jesus alone. Not the front door of law-keeping, but the back door of Christ loving. You can't look at the list of the law and live. That only works for Schindler, okay? It doesn't work for us. We have to look at Christ to live. And not just the moment you receive him. You're always looking at Jesus continually. You're loving him more and more. You're able to do the law more and more, to live to our purpose from God. And the mistake that so many Christians make, though, is to make the law the center of everything, just like in Moses' day. And when you make the law the center, all that Jesus is to you is a key to get in. You've reduced Jesus to a key to get in. To what You, you want the law? Use Jesus for that and move on. And you fall right back into the old veiled way. Once that thrill of salvation or the time you last repented 10 years ago wears off. You've got to keep looking at Jesus. You've got to keep loving Jesus. That is one of the reasons that Paul is always telling us uh, that we are being saved, present tense. Your salvation is secure, okay? The moment you accept Christ, you don't lose that. But then we tend to forget about it. Paul says, you're being saved right now. And he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is always ongoing. It is always happening. We are always repenting and offering our sin and confessing our sin. And that's how we're always experiencing grace. There's still a sacrificial system. I'm here to tell you. All right? It's not animals at a temple. It's not even our Savior on a cross. All we have to do is sacrifice our sin to God in exchange for grace. If you don't sacrifice your sin, if you're not always coughing it up, 
there's no grace. You will not experience grace. That's a, a cycle that should never be stopping. You, know, you may think, you know, I'm okay. I do pretty good at the law. Maybe you're leaning into that Pharisee territory. Like the soup, the soup guy said on Seinfeld, no grace for you. Your eyes come off Jesus. You're veiled. You're not going to get this. The law is still just behavior modification rather than heart change. Paul says that to the Jews of his time that did not believe in Jesus, the veil was still there. Listen to this in verse 14 of our passage. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. A Pharisee always says, look at what I've done. And as Christians, we can voluntarily put that veil on. Can you believe that? You can put the veil back on. How good am I at following the law? Look how good I am at it. God, now you owe me some blessings. Why are these bad things happening to me? But our best never satisfies the law. We forget that. Only Jesus could do that. And if you say, you know, I've tried my best. I hope that God will accept me. Guess what? No. If you, even if you say, I messed up, maybe God will look at all the good things I've done uh, and let me in. No, still no. You don't get it. You don't see it. You're wearing the veil. Someone once said this. The legalist says you're either, a righteous, you're either righteous or you're a sinner. That's what the legalist says. You're either righteous or you're a sinner. But the Christian says, I am a righteous sinner. That is the only, that is the world where grace and law coexist. There is no compromise between law and grace in Jesus. There is no paradox between them. Only in Jesus can those things totally coexist in the same space. Uh, just like in science fiction shows, okay? If they touch anywhere else, the universe blows up. It doesn't work. Listen to what Romans 7.4 says. Likewise, my brothers, you have you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. What is bearing fruit for God? It's obeying the law, loving your neighbor, loving God. Look, the law here is not the goal. The law is not the goal in your life, Christian. The law is not the goal. Christ is the goal. Jesus Christ is the goal. Love Christ to him who has been raised from the dead is to whom we belong, okay? And you get the law thrown in as part of that. It becomes who you are as you gaze upon Jesus. Let me say that again. When you get Christ, when you keep your eyes on him, when you keep the veil off and you rip it off your head, you get the law thrown in. It becomes what you want to do out of love for the one who has done so much for you. Listen to this last verse, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, 
I just thank you so much for the paradoxes that are in the gospel, Lord. How can, how can perfect grace and how can perfect law exist together? I thank you for that, Lord. And I pray that you would be in all of our lives from the moment we received you, Lord, until the, the moment we meet you in heaven, Lord, that those things are reconciling in our heart a little bit more every day. Lord, there's someone here today who has uh, not even started that journey, Lord. They think it's all grace or it's all law. I've got to do these things uh, to please God, Lord. I pray that you'd be in their hearts, Lord, that they would, you would bring them to you, Lord, in a way that, that saves them, Lord, for eternity. They would understand grace and that they haven't been getting it done, Lord. They would come to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.